Hello there, everyone. This is Luke here. Paul's here with me as well. We are super excited to be back with you all. Um, we are going to be doing a podcast on the Baby Eagles, the USMNT. Aww. Right now, we're going through a tough spell. You know, we're going like, through a learning spell is what we're I, really doing. I realistically, honestly, you know how much I care about the Baby Eagles and how much they rule my thoughts day in day out and i'm really not that upset if i'm being honest with you well that's good that's good i think what i wanted to do here in the very beginning for our intro right i think the best way to frame everything that transpired with germany what kind of has happened here in my opinion right we came in with high hopes expectations for what the match would be And a lot of those expectations were not met. I think we were somewhat shown there's still a lot of growing left to be done for this team. We, before the match started, Paul and I had conversations about what we expected, maybe a scoreline, you know, overall performance expectations. And this was probably on the lower end of the spectrum of what we expected, right? Because there were points where we were throwing throwing around the idea. If we win 3-1, 2-1, that would have been huge, right? The momentum we would have built from a match like that would have been immense. But now we're here at this point where we're kind of reevaluating things. And I think, as I said in the beginning, there's a lot of learning that needs to be done for us. And I think a lot of fan expectation has kind of been reset a little bit. Yeah, 100% agree, Luke. I, the One of the big discussions was, um, not to dive too deep into it because we can a little bit more later on, but the big question marks we had about Greg Barhalter coming back was how is he going to perform against some of the best teams in the world? And it looked like at the beginning of the day he started a 11 that we were like, this is probably our strongest starting 11 for what he could have picked, which was impressive but that's also a very small part of being a coach there's a lot of other things that go on and we can also we're gonna we're gonna talk more about this but i think there was in the first half i was perfectly fine with how everything went basically there's a little there's 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 nitpicky things here and there but like the first half was good and then the second half just with the geo sub we just lost complete control of everything and germany was able to just run at our center backs and the biggest problem with that is that, I mean, that's a defensive midfield setup that we enabled them to do that. And there was no changes. I mean, yeah, there were subs, and maybe it got a little bit better in, like, the 80th minute. But the game was over at that point. It was cooked, so it didn't really matter, you know? It was. Th- there's just so many tactical decisions here that I think we can dive into in the next segment where we kind of want to get a little more granular with things. But there's a lot to be frustrated about from a fan perspective on how the game was managed, especially if you watch that first half and then you watch the second half. Mm-hmm. Very, it's, it's a different tell between the two sides. And ultimately, the way that I see this is that the first half was an excellent learning experience for our team. We went head-to-head with one of the most talented squads in the world. And that says a lot for our team and the way, we, you know, the way we set up, right? I feel like with Gio Reyna in the first half, he offers more of a threat. And uh, he, 
he pre creates issues and problems that Germany had to address. And in the second half, not so much. They were much more aggressive, came out with a different mindset. And I think the second half would have been when Gio would have really thrived. Right. So, you know, we'll, we'll dive more into that, but for the time being, I think ultimately our main take, my main takeaway from this personally is expectations have now been reset for this team for a little bit for the time being for the short term. Yeah. I, um, I agree that expectations may be maybe where they should be at this point. You know, I think after, um, nations league, it was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. And then we look at, um, Greg Berhalter's record, not to keep bringing him up, but a lot of his big wins, I think it's top 15, top 20 teams in the world have all come from CONCACAF wins not actual wins against other areas of the world countries, which is a really, really big problem because when you think about it, we are playing in Copa America where we're not going to see CONCACAF teams most likely. And then also in the World Cup where, unless it's some weird situation, we're not going to see CONCACAF teams. So we have to address that. There have to be steps taken to... Get us over that hump because that's what if we if we want to be a serious contender on the world stage, you gotta win games like this, you know? You do, right? And managerially speaking, for Greg Burhalter, he can probably probably tactically maybe outwit some of the coaches he's gonna face in CONCACAF, right? You're not necessarily maybe. facing the top talent of managerial ranks, right? But when you're playing against a European team, it doesn't really matter which team from Europe it is. That head coach is either going to be an ex-professional player who thinks the game very cerebrally or tactically very sound, right? And it's just a different level. It's all about levels is what it feels like at this moment. And I don't know if Greg pushes us up a level, as we've always been saying for a very long time. Yeah, that's been the big question mark, and I think that's going to exist until until we kick until the end of the twenty twenty six World Cup. It's going to be a question mark looming over this team. So we'll see how it plays out. Um, I think we should probably cut to a little commercial break or a little bathroom break for one of us, maybe question mark. Um, but we'll um, we'll be right back with more USMNT content where we kind of dive into the granular of this game and. Maybe a little stuff going forward. And quick question for you all as you think through this little break we have. Who do you think was the lowest rated player within the U.S. squad against Germany? I know, Let's, I know, I know, I know. You might know, but we'll answer that question for you when we come right back. And we'll see you soon. And we are back, everyone. So I know you've I wanna been... Know, I want to know. I want to know. You've been waiting. You probably feel know. exactly how Paul does right now. I got to know. You want to know the answer to, according to FootMob, what was the worst performance from a U.S. Just player? Just guys. I actually do know. But. And you all might be a little surprised by this. You probably thought, hmm, it's Serginho Dest. There's a lot of hate going around on Twitter right now in his direction. Hmm. Maybe it's Tim Ream. He didn't have the best performance, although he's a wily old veteran. But let me tell you, all of those guesses are wrong. The worst player, according to FootMob, was Nick Richards mm-hmm. with a measly 5.3 rating. And just so you all understand, 
FootMob starts their player ratings out at 6.0. So overall, his performance was more negative than positive. And that's why he ends up being the lowest rated player. So, Luke, um, I have been a pretty big stand on the Chris Richards Island. I've bought a lot of real estate. I've been sitting there and... And I've always believed in Chris Richards. That's still due to this day, even after this performance. But it was bad. It really was bad. If you watch all the all basically all the Germany goals, there's a situation, especially which one is it? Um, I have a little notes here. Yeah, it's the first one. Um, let me see. The first one they score where there was the deflection. The 39th minute. 39th minute. It was mm-hmm. Gundogan. Yeah, and literally like. That whole situation, like, Richards completely moves out of position. Sané gets the ball mm-hmm. back, and then he gets the little deflection off Turner where Gundo scores. But, like, in that whole situation, if you just watch that play, like, I've played it back probably five or six times and just really, really watched it. Richards gets completely pulled out of position, and there's just a huge gap in the middle of the back line. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. I mean, he should be stepping forward, and there's also – this is this is another point that I want to bring up, too. I don't think um, the midfield really – helped out the center backs at all i think they were exposed quite a bit with richards he probably i mean a fully informed nick richards this probably doesn't happen realistically i think he he hasn't played that much he hasn't had much like going on there and it it goes back a little bit to the midfield setup but also he was just very poor too he was but let's say tyler adams is playing the six Mm mm-hmm He's going to look a lot better because Tyler Adams is on the pitch. Musa did a good job playing the six, but at times he was pulled out of position. He pushed a little too high when McKinney was high as well, and that left some gaps that Germany was able to take advantage of. And this goal was one of those instances where it felt like Richards was out of position because maybe because Musa was out of position. Mm-hmm. So and I don't necessarily even think we can fault Musa for that. He's no. not a natural out and out six. He can be a six. He can, but he like can be, but we he, don't think it's his best position. Yeah, I agree. Right? It's not his natural profile. Yeah, not not by a long shot. At least that's how I personally see it. Right. Mm-hmm. But all in all, right. I think that Richards did have a poor performance. But personally, I think all of Germany's goals were really fucking jammy. So yes, but the whole the whole the whole gist of this whole situation is like if you look at all the Germany goals, they essentially happened where Musiala was mainly the one causing those problems. He was picking the ball up. There's one where Sane ran in from the right side. The other two basically Musiala catching the ball in the middle of the pitch because we didn't have that force there in the midfield. Like you watch the second half Jeremy essentially is just running on our center backs from the wings yes and it's constantly happening Mm -hmm. and the biggest issue with that is that that's how you end up with goals like that yet they're jammy but it's also like we were allowing them to get in these really good positions constantly and it was going to happen eventually right and that that's an excellent point but I think we were on the wrong side of some luck right in this match you know if I think the ball rolled our way the wrong way for us multiple times throughout the match. And yes, I get that is football. Sometimes the luck is in your favor. Sometimes it's not. And when it's not, it seems to snowball. And this time it really did snowball. Right. Mm -hmm. Because based upon that first half, if you would have told me 
it was going to end up being three to one Germany. I I was going to be pretty surprised. I did expect Germany to come out and assert themselves a little bit more than they had in the first half, but not to this extent and not the way that the U S seemed to kind of almost shell itself back in, try to get more defensive and not even be better defensively. Yeah. That's the most frustrating thing to me Mm -hmm. is it seems like we made a concerted effort to tighten things up, compact things, and they still were easily making those passes within the you know middle third of the pitch. Mm-hmm. And that was ever-present in the first half, but they weren't able to capitalize it on, on the, the way that they were in the second half. So there are so many different variables here that I think need to be addressed. But a big one is our mentality going into the second half. It felt like we were set up very poorly, in my opinion. See, I I go back and forth on this because I think with the midfield setup we had after Gio coming out and Luca De La Torre coming in, I don't think Luca De La Torre was bad. Like I rewatched the second half again today, and I like watching him in this match. I think the that midfield three just really doesn't complement each other well. I think with Gio there. With like his ability to just out and out create and hold the ball and possess and create for other people on the wings or battle up front, it works really well. And Luca De La Torre is more of like a probably like a little more defensive minded, where he's gonna come back more, he's gonna do a little more work. But at the end of the day, he doesn't have that just like pure, pure like just talent of creation that Geo does. And it's, it's just a different level, but I'm not saying that Luca De La Torre, like he brings a certain skill set that I don't think anybody else really does bring to this U.S. team, but I don't think, I think he plays really well with somebody like Tyler Adams. Yes. He has a good this, balance in that situation. Th- this, this is the point, right? I think Luca is an excellent box to box. He can create in the right position, but you cannot put the creative onus upon him. Whenever you do that, I think he gets in positions where he's not completely comfortable. He struggles to find the right ball under pressure. Sometimes. He he has the ability to do that. He really does. He but does. But I'm just saying that consistently, I don't think we can put him in that position where it's all yeah. upon him to create. I think that comes down, and I think he's kind of learning to adapt to it, but like his frame, and he doesn't have like the highest level of athleticism. So sometimes he gets in positions he can't get it out of that, like Geo, per se, would be able to, you know? Yes, yes, agreed. Um, I mean, really, I think another really big point here that I want to bring up is I'm really worried about the way that we're trying to possess the ball in another team's half. If you watch us, right, it's we keep the ball on one side of the pitch, we cycle it through, try to create little triangles, and then try to play someone down the wing so that they can cross the ball in the box. And I'm sorry, but to me, that seems a bit archaic and a little naive in order to think that that's going to be an effective way to beat a lot of top-tier international clubs. Especially when you don't have a striker that it's an aerial threat. That's what we were, we right? were talking about. This. Balagoon, peppy, that's the situation. Balagoon is incredible at finding the open spaces, making the right runs. But that's more so of if 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 we're gonna try to play like that, our wingers need to take players on one v one and get past them. 
with the intention of making a run into the box, not I'm mm-hmm. going to beat you by one dribble and cross it in. Yeah. Right. There has to be a mentality shift there, or we have to completely get away from this play style where we're just crossing the ball in the box, hoping that something happens. It feels desperate and it feels like it doesn't is not fitting of how talented this team is. Yeah, I totally agree. Like it feels like there's a lot of wasted potential there and we see moments like I mean like if you look in the first half of these little like the Pulisic goal, like how that was created. I mean there was if you watch really watch that clip again, there were essentially three US players in the picture. Yeah. And it was all on the left side. And that that's what really bothers me is that you're exactly right. This team is extremely talented with playing in tight spaces. They have a great understanding of each other at this point. They've all played together for years and years and years. And we're kind of wasting the way they can, like, how many times have we really seen them, like, create, like, beautiful goals, honestly? like I want to see one-twos between Ballo and Pulisic, between Pulisic and Reyna, yeah. between Dest mm-hmm. and Pulisic, right? All of these creating triangles is a staple of modern football. But the way we're equipping them seems archaic. Yeah. Right. And I really like just to reiterate my point on how we're possessing within an opponent's half. Germany had 289 passes in the U.S. half. We only had 143 in Germany's half. It's not good. Right. And I just, and also another big part of this too, Germany had 27 long balls completed. We had 18. Yeah. And so the, the, the biggest thing that really, that I totally agree with you on, and this is just outrageous, is that Ballo is not being utilized the right way. And obviously he's frustrated. We've heard rumors that like he's mm-hmm. frustrated with the way he's being utilized. But like if we're going to play a team like Germany that's going to possess the ball, pass around our half and everything, why is there only like two or three instances of us trying to play Ballo in behind them? Yeah. Like literally. Yeah. And like so there was the the Pulisic chance where he went tried to go around Ter Stegen and he went down because he thought it was a pin. It wasn't a pin. That was probably... So that instance happened because Gio got the ball on the right side and then he played Ballo through who cut it back to Pulisic. That should be happening to teams because the break, the, honestly, like Gio orchestra- orchestrating a break with Pulisic on the left, way on the right and Ballo in front of him. I would be terrified of that if I were other teams. And we don't do that. Yeah, It's crazy. And I, I get like the CONCACAF stuff. Like in that situation when we're the aggressors and we control the ball, but when we're playing teams like this, that's what needs to happen. I really think, though, that we have the talent. And if we went in with the right mentality, we could be the aggressors against a team like Germany. We could. We could. And it just depends on how you want to approach the game, really. I think Burton, you know, in a kind of rare for this podcast compliment to Burhalter, I think he stuck to the way that he wanted to play. In the past, whenever the U.S. had some very sketchy moments in the defensive half, trying to pass the ball around, right? In the past, it would have been really easy for us to say, uh, well, let's just you know try to play long, reset possession, cycle it back through, and set ourselves up defensively. We tried to play through their press, right? And there has in the to be... the second half, it did not work at all. It did not. But in, in principle, I like the idea of let's stick to what we want to do 
and make sure that it, you know that we learn from this and we're not just kind of kind of backing out of it mm-hmm. um but speaking of sp- sticking to what we do the US had three accurate crosses yeah is it three which is an 11% completion rate horrible that is so bad it's mm-hmm. horrible Whenever we're dependent upon that for our loan ability to score and create opportunities, we need to be at a 20% success rate of crosses at a minimum. Mm-hmm. I just, that that's horrible in my opinion. So, um, yeah, it's yeah. really bad. I don't know. Um, so, Luke, I will say, I think that there were a couple positives in this match, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have one as well. You go first. Though. Okay, you I, I have yours. a couple so we can yeah. bounce back and forth on them. But I think in the first half, the reason why we were so successful and the w- reason why it worked so well is really because the mid. I think that midfield three has the ability to be honestly one of the best midfields in the world. <laughs> Luke's struggling over here. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> He's struggling. Um, But so the setup of Musa, McKinney, and Gio I think we didn't even begin to scratch the surface of what this midfield can do because if you remember Wes, whenever we played in Nations League, he absolutely bossed those games and he was he was distributing the ball everywhere. And there in this game, how many times can you think of him distributing the ball across the field? I think it's because he was taking up different positions. He, he was, but right. like even when he gets on the ball, like I want to see him being more progressive because he has the ability from like a deep lying perspective to do what a lot of midfielders in the world can't do in that position, honestly. He does. His ball distribution is le- – and he's also great with the ball at his feet, too. And and also, another big thing, too, is, like, whenever we're um, playing a team like that and Moose is in the six role, essentially, I think it, it's hard for him to utilize where he's really good about going around people and, like, make – because like, it's really dangerous for him to do that whenever he's in a deep, deep line position. So – it. For they need to find the balance where Musa can kind of utilize his skill set of going past people and doing that. While West, like him and Weston, need to have more like give and take, in my opinion. You know. Let me ask you a question. Okay. What is the most important position in modern football, in your opinion? Mm, probably the six. It is probably the fulcrum of an attack. Yeah. And I think. For Musa, if he wants to get to the point of where he's playing for a top club in the top leagues in the world, mm-hmm. obviously he's with AC Milan, so already with a massive club. But if he wants to take that next step up, I think his future could be a six. I don't know, man. I, I, I don't but know. But think about this, right? How important that is to a team, the way a team plays. If he yeah. can develop the more of his defensive presence and, you know, interrupt the attacking break of a team a little bit better, be more positionally accurate with where he needs to be. He could be playing for a top, top team very soon as a six because of his elusiveness there. Right. Mm -hmm. And his ball distribution is pretty good. It could definitely be better, but I just am trying, I'm picturing him with his ability to evade people. I think he could be, the elite of the elite sixes in the world if he develop it, yeah. develops a skill set. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the I, I really don't know where the ceiling is for Musa. Mm-hmm. I think he's a player that's already grown so much in the last couple of years and 
he's still so so young and he has like i mean if we look at it like his time at valencia he had kind of a rocky end the last year or a half probably last two years there essentially mm-hmm. and if he can lock down a starting position for ac milan and get consistent minutes in that team and in Serie A and then champions league and doing so he's just going to keep growing exponentially so i i really am excited to see where he goes and i, I think i don't know i we could have this discussion right now where if Tyler Adams is healthy, I don't know who our starting three are in the midfield. I know who I think should 100% be there, but I think it really is all situational. It depends on who we're playing, you know. But who would you who would you pick? You you say your three, and I'll in, say my three. In my opinion, I think the best starting three for that midfield is going to – realistically, I think it's Adams – Musa and Reno. In okay. my opinion, that's what okay. that's what I would play. I think that's the most talented lineup and probably most consistent in my opinion. With McKinney, if you get his ceiling version, he's, you know, probably one of the more talented players in that collective, but I feel like we don't quite know what to expect from McKinney at this point, right? Yeah, I think um, Weston McKinney is the kind of player that this is kind of it, it. in my head I wish it was kind of a different way but I think his best partner in the midfield beside him is Tyler Adams yes agreed because Tyler Adams will cover for him he'll allow West to really go box to box and do what he wants to do and with Musa it's I think it's one of those things where it could be a really good partnership for them but they haven't quite figured it out yet, as we can tell. And yeah. they just need more games. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like they were like Wes was talking to um, in the interviewers afterwards, and they were kind of asking about the midfield setup. And he was like, "Yeah, we, it was good in the first half. We're still trying to figure each other out and like learn exactly what we all need." So, it's we'll see what happens. I mean, I, I think we're gonna have a while before Tyler Adams is back in a U.S. jersey, sadly. So, so yeah, we'll, that, we'll have time to see this develop. So, who knows? Who really knows? It's unfortunate, and let's—he needs to be back. <coughs> excuse me, very soon for Bournemouth, because they are floundering at the moment right I now. I mean, from what I saw a couple of weeks ago with the re-injury, it's just this is reported. I don't—I can't confirm anything. Apparently, he's back in the U.S. and he hurt his hamstring again, and it could be three months or so, which is which is really sad because yeah. he, like you said, That's Bournemouth rough. really need him. But they th- really at, do. At this point for Tyler Adams, it's really not about club. It's about him getting himself healthy or or country. It's literally just about him being able to play soccer at a consistent level. So send, sending best wishes, wishes to Tyler Adams, you know? Yes, we certainly are. Um, speedy recovery there, baby eagle. God. So the main positive that I think I would like to focus on and I don't, we don't have to dive into this too long, but I think Matt Turner was really good in this match. Yeah, I thought he was too. Um, he had a match rating of 7.1 from Foot Mob, and that's with him conceding three goals. Mm-hmm. That, that speaks to his ball distribution was good. In the beginning, there were a few little touch-and-go moments <laughs> where yeah. maybe his touch wasn't exactly where it needed to be, but... He always has to settle in a little bit, you know? He does. He does. And it, it always makes it interesting for us fans. Mm-hmm. But he made some really great saves. I think he had a total of four. He had four saves throughout the match. 
and the goals he conceded there really were not much. There wasn't much that they could have done with them, in my opinion. Yeah, like you said, they were they were relatively jammy for the situations, and like there were people like shooting essentially from like well, like six yards out in that yeah. kind of situation, and with it's no one around them. I mean, these are professionals. There's they will. 98% yeah, of the time that goes in the back of the net. You, you so. can't be a rational human being and blame, blame Matt Turner for basically any of those. No, really. you really can't. I mean, so his, for the match, his passing percentage was 65% completion rate. Um, and on long balls, he was, he had a 25% completion rate. So it was, I really, I did like what he was doing though. And he's, he was really looking for Polisic on those outlets on the throws. And I like yeah, that. No, I, like I, do, I do too. I do too. And he was also very active in coming out of his box. Yeah. He which was. I feel like we don't see that very often from him. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen it a little more at force. So I think it's something he's probably trying to integrate into his game. Yeah. Being a more, little more situationally aware of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And by the way, the interview that he did with Kicking It, I believe, mm-hmm. is really good. Yeah. It's a good um, listen. If you are a USMNT fan and you have not seen that yet, I would definitely recommend checking that out. It is. It, it's good content, and they talk about some interesting topics on there. Yeah, um, it's good listen. But really, I mean, the, I thought he was really good. I was very impressed. He made some really nice saves, and without Matt Turner in goal, I think this could have been a really, really ugly end result. Mm-hmm. I agree. So I'm going to throw out one more positive for you, Luke. Yeah, go ahead. That made me like exceptionally happy to see. Um, I thought Brendan Aronson, when he subbed on, looked really good. He actually, yeah. He I looked he like he was dangerous. He looked like he was he was picking up the ball in really good positions. He was putting in work defensively too, and like he had a couple little runs where it was like, okay, this is this is the guy we want to see. And we like mm-hmm. he's had a rough time at his club this year. It's no, no, there's no way around it. He's struggling to get minutes. He's had some bad performances, and to see a player like this come back for country, put in a good performance, hopefully. I, he probably won't get a start next match, but hopefully he subs on maybe at half, that kind of situation. So I, it's, yeah, it's exciting no, to see I, for him. I thought he was really good. This could be a good time for him to build that positive momentum, mm-hmm. carry it through um, back to his club. Um, and I, I personally just really would love to see about another 20 minutes of him going against Rudiger. <laughs> I feel yeah. like yeah, that yeah, yeah. matchup there is built for Rudiger to lash out at him <laughs> yeah, and just yeah. be annoyed with how feisty and pesky, pesky he can be at times. It would have been an interesting watch if nothing else. Um, but, you know, speaking of positive, something we haven't talked about, except we touched on it a little bit, Polisic's goal in oh, the yeah, first dude. half. Was that was, it's kind of being lost a little bit. And even in his post-match interview, when he was asked about that, he said, you know, essentially, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Yes. He said, you know, it was a great goal, but we didn't win. So it doesn't mean that much, which is ultimately what we want to hear from, you know, one of our main superstars. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, what a beautiful goal. He struck that so well and it just kind of floated right into the top. <laughs> right there. Oh, no, it didn't float. It, it, it went there fast. I, it wasn't floating. It, okay. It wasn't like, he hit it direct, and he just like he put it in a place where Tristegan couldn't he touch did. it. And that's the biggest thing. He curled it around him, put it in the perfect spot, but it wasn't really like a screamer. 
But so I think there's a little bit of a nuanced difference. Like it's not like like Mbappe's goal he scored against Netherlands two days ago or a day ago, whatever it was. That one was a curler. That one was like way out of the goalie's reach, like spinning around him, you know? Well, he didn't even put that into the sign netting. If you look know, at it from the like perspective over. behind, it was probably three foot three feet away from the side post. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is crazy. But this one with Polisic, I think he just guided it into the top corner mm-hmm. with enough curl. Yeah. Mbappe's did have a ton of curl on it. Yeah. No, it but sure did. yeah, what a great goal from Polisic. We definitely want to highlight that. It's excellent to see him in such great form for club and country. Four and five. Four for and the US. five. Right. And I mean, with Milan, a huge goal with them before the international break to give them three points. Um, and quite a crazy match, but mm-hmm. I I really think that we're seeing excellent run from Pulisic here, and we just hope to see that continue. Yeah, um, yeah, for and sure. let's you know let's all light light some sage or whatever we need to to keep the injury don't, bug away. So. Don't do that. Like, don't say that. Some incense, incense is what I was trying to go for. Yeah, but um, um, I, I I totally agree. It was it was a great goal for him, and I wish we could have kept the momentum going after that. And another thing that we were kind of talking about as the first Germany goal basically happened was that this U.S. team has a history of not having two performances together in a whole game, like two halves. Usually it's first half, second half team, or your first half this one, then a second half the next game. And literally, as I was telling Luke, I was like, we need to learn to close out halves. We need to learn to be more efficient about this. They literally give up the goal in like the 38th minute, and then Germany comes out in the second half and dominates. And that's stuff that we cannot do as a team. Like, if we want to go on deep runs in tournaments, as in Copa America or the World Cup in 2026, we have to be more clinical and professional about how we deal with the end of halves, you know? Yes. Yep, we definitely do. And that's something game management is, at the top level, it is a 100% necessary team skill. And right now it feels like, we don't have that consistent idea of how to manage a game. If we're up one nil, if we're down one nil, there are, there's a certain mentality you need depending on the score. Obviously then the game plan should be applicable for whatever score line is going on at that moment. But the mentality needs to be understood that sometimes it's better to, read the game and understand what is needed in that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- I think, you know, that, that kind of ties into my final positive that I want to highlight from this match. And really the positive is that we played Germany. I think it's great that we're getting this experience against a European team that is wide, widely renowned as one of the best historically international teams right so getting this experience while it's painful at the moment because we did not perform the way that we'd hope or expect us to but at least we have these lessons that we've learned from it right there's a lot of things that we can take away from it and hopefully continue on this journey for 2026 where we're improving and getting better with each performance yeah i 100 percent agree like it's and I know that there's some people out there that are saying this is like not a great German team compared to the other teams, but 
if you look at the starting eleven, that's an extremely talented eleven. Yeah, their their talent that, is incredible. That could literally, I mean, they they bring they brought Thomas Muller off the bench, like one of the best players of all time. Like, if you if you look at this team, like they can beat anybody in the world easily on an, on any given day. Like they they legitimately can. They have a great young coach. This I think this is a very talented Germany team that we just lost to, and hopefully, um, we're sitting around or the team sitting around with Greg digesting it, diving deep into things that went wrong, and we're learning and growing from it because that's what these games should be. Friendly matches should be stuff like this. I I would much rather, like, that's why I'm not upset about this because I I would, the fact that we played Uzbekistan and Oman in the last friendly window, I don't give a shit. Like, that's such a waste of time for everybody. I don't even care. Like, I, I, I don't care about that. I would rather lose 5-0 to Brazil and play them every international window because we learn more from that. Exactly. I completely, completely echo every part of that idea, right? I, The competition that we are playing with, that is what is going to build us into an elite team. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but playing, you know, Barbados or any of these smaller nation leagues, that is not going to do anything no. for the U.S. And I'm sorry. I, it's It's just the truth, right? But... As you were saying, you're saying that Germany is one of the best national teams. Their talent is elite. Ten of their 11 starters for their respective club teams. All of their club teams are in at least the top three of their respective leagues. Mm -hmm. So these players are elite, elite, playing against the best in the world week in and week out. Germany's had a rough go of it, though. Their manager situation has been really difficult. A lot of flux kind of between generations at the moment. But this is a very good team. Um, can I make a quick little prediction on the pod? Yeah, go for it. It wouldn't surprise me if Germany wins Euros 2024. With Nagelsmann at the helm, which I'm surprised we were just saying his name for the first time now, mm-hmm. he will definitely put them in a position to succeed and be in a position for repeated success, in my opinion. Yeah, and... Th- not to talk too much about Germany, but like they have so many good young attackers, and then you mix in the old guard that they kind of have that are still going to be around for next year's Euros. This is this is a really good team that's only going to get a lot better before that time rolls around. So this you could probably see this as probably the beating this U.S. team as a foundation for where this Germany team goes forward, and we'll see where it is. But I think it's going to be pretty pretty high. Yeah, it's, it feels like they're somewhat of a sleeping giant. And with Nagelsmann at the helm, it feels like they will be waking up pretty soon. Yeah, in my I, opinion. I totally agree. Well, um, Luke, do you have any other U.S. points you want to make before we wrap? I think I've basically said everything that I want to get to. Let me look at my – I have a little note here about – Um, Yeah, honestly, I, I think we hit all the big things. Like, I do want to say – Thank God Gio Reyna played. <laughs> yeah, that, it was good to see imagine, him play again. Imagine what this podcast would have been if Gio did not touch the pitch. I, I or, don't know if we would have done a podcast. Or he didn't get called into this international break squad. Yeah. That would have been all hands on deck. Germany's go- Gio is going to play for Germany or Argentina or fuck man that would have been so bad so i'm happy we're in this situation where we're upset about a game that geo played in um and by the way go check out our most recent article on geo reina mm-hmm. um 
Paul did an excellent job putting together a well-crafted article um, on Giorena and his potential upside within this U.S. squad and, you know, also his club potential as well. Yeah. Um, so go check that out. But I think that's all we have for this pod. Yeah, I'm, I'm all good. Yeah, me too. Well, thank you all so much for joining us. Hope you have a great rest of your day, mm-hmm. night, whatever it may be. Um, but we will see you guys next time. Yeah. Also, um, real quick, everybody, the U.S. play is Ghana on Wednesday, so be on the lookout for that one. We'll we'll see how the Baby Eagles respond to this loss against Germany. It's a weaker Ghana side, so we'll see what happens. But it's still still a very good Ghana team. So for sure. Yeah. So we'll we'll be in touch about that one. I don't know if we'll do a podcast. Maybe just put out some information on Twitter, or Instagram, yeah, all that we'll stuff. But do that. Yeah. yeah, but we'll we'll be um, back sometime soon with FPL content. So keep an eye out. Yeah, and go baby eagles. Go baby eagles. Right. Thanks everyone. All right, bye everybody. Bye.